Hey, hello. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. This is ostensibly a Monday pod being recorded and released on a Tuesday. I'm Ali Maxwell. He's George Ehrlich. We don't really know the day or the date, George. It doesn't matter at this time of year. What we do have are 12 EFL games to break down. Four from the Championship, five from League One, three from League Two. Basically, one third of the scheduled fixtures from Boxing Day and the 27th. George, how are you? I'm okay. I was quite poorly over Christmas, oh. as you know. I don't know why I'm telling you that as if you didn't know that. Um, wow. I woke up at 5 a.m. For the, for the purposes of the pod, I think it's great when you say stuff that I already know and then I react as if I don't know. Oh, no. Are you okay? For example, is how I would react to that. I hope you're feeling better. Yes. I, I, I woke up at 5 a.m. on Christmas morning with my face full of cold and i was like oh my goodness i've done so much to try and avoid avoid omicron covid and it has come and crept up on me just before father christmas was going to walk in with his sack full of presents um did a couple of lateral flow tests uh and they were negative did a pcr test and it was also negative so it's just it's just a common cold mate you know Mm. one of those great old chestnuts so i felt pretty ropey for the last few days today i'm you know, you know when you've been ill and you're just about feeling human again. Mm. You know, you're... it's a great feeling when you realise, isn't it? There's a moment of realisation yes. and then a shot of adrenaline. But I did, I, I did five live on Saturday whilst feeling not my best. So hopefully it went okay. I think I was in kind of a quite an ill state at the time. I can't really remember it that I well. Think, but... <laughs> I remember thinking it was maybe your best ever performance on there. So I don't know if there's a way that we could inject you with out. head cold uh, before okay. each broadcasting piece of work but I thought you were excellent you were much more measured just a bit just a bit less excitable you know sometimes you can get a little bit on there but I thought you were brilliant that's all I'm just mate come on no you know I'm being silly okay now I know we've had two game weeks in a row absolutely ravaged by Omicron COVID do you mind if we don't take a lot of time to talk about the insane infectiousness of it and how the football that we know and love is once again being ravaged by COVID? Because I have to admit, mate, although sometimes I would say we have a duty to discuss this and the many discussions about what's happening and what should happen, etc. I'm really, I'm tired and it's getting me down a bit and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Shall we talk about football? Yes, can we? Thank you so much. we've got... What's quite, I mean, not very much about the current situation is fun, but this is a very rare occasion where we can just talk about every game. Let's just, yeah. we could just start, just start with Huddersfield Blackpool and just wander through the games. I'll decide the order, I think. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. But um, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is 12 fixtures in, de- in detail. This is basically what the pod would be like if we had decided to only cover one league of 24 teams rather than all three, which I mean, that sounds like an easy life, doesn't it? That I don't know. I think I think I think taking on all three is the right way to go personally. But let's see what it would be like if, for example, we just covered League One. Twelve games in detail. Mm. Here we go. Let's start with Derby. No, let's start with the one you wanted to start with, which I actually had fourth out of four on my list because I thought we would do it in reverse chronological order. But let's not. Huddersfield three, Blackpool two. George, the Terriers, right, showing some real Nasher spirit right now last week they were one nil down after two minutes at ashton gate and they won that one three goals to two this week or rather two days ago they were one nil down after one minute from jeremiah yates's goal for blackpool and they won by three goals to two 
turning it around thanks in in a large part to the Angel Jordan Gabriel's Christmas red card, which really scuppered Critchley's Blackpool. How much did you enjoy this game? What a Christmas cracker. Yeah, I did enjoy this game. Um, I guess on the face of it, you've got a, a comeback, you've got a red card, you've got pandemonium in the home stand, pandemonium in the away end when the first goal goes in. I mean, I think it was a fairly drab affair for, for quite a lot of it. Oh. And I don't want to be, be rude here. Well, I mean, I think from a Huddersfield start, point of view, it? it was a great start. Yeah, and, and yeah it was two goals a, in the first five finish. minutes. I'm not sure a, a game can finish. be drab. A great finish from Jeremiah. I think I'm, I'm more maybe talking about the, from the point of view of the of the Huddersfield fans up until the red card. Um, you had a, a great finish from from Jeremiah within a minute. Uh, a a real thumping header. I think the definition of a thumping header from Danny Ward uh, to peg it back at, at after three minutes at one all. Um, a brilliant assist from from the Kesh man Keshi Anderson. That was nice. um, for Takeshi. a a kind of stooping header uh, from Gary Medine. And then after that, Huddersfield didn't really have much in the way of, of answers for what Blackpool um, were were setting down. But Blackpool were, were deserving of their lead at 2-1. And I think to most people watching the game, it felt like they were probably going to coast to victory and possibly even be the team who, who were likely to score the fourth goal uh, and make the three points theirs. But as you mentioned, the angel Gabriel um, with a, a really foolish foul uh, to, to earn a second yellow card changed the game entirely and and that isn't to take anything away from Huddersfield because as we know it, it's not always so easy as just to um to win a game against 10 men when you're behind um but their first goal from Sorba Thomas was one of my favorite goals uh, oh, of the past few weeks I um, loved it give and go and give and go and give and go just give and go it's what Christmas is Jordan, all about Jordan giving Rhodes, gifts give and go and going <laughs> to someone's house to celebrate it was incredible yeah. from the Sorba man. Yes, um, and then and then a decent finish as well for for the for the for the third goal. It's a big result for Carlos Corbran. I think, given how frustrated a lot of um, Huddersfield fans have been by his in-game management, uh, I think a failure to have picked up at least a point uh, from that position would have been very difficult for him to come back from. And I mean, it's amazing how the, the narrative around Huddersfield is so negative at times, given their, their league position. You know, I, I'm not, not someone who necessarily subscribes to the idea that league position is, is the be all and end all, but they are sick. You know, we're going to, we're about, I'm pretty sure you and I are about to talk up Middlesbrough as possible promotion candidates automatically in about five minutes time. Huddersfield and Middlesbrough have played the same amount of games and got the same amount of points. Um, they're in a, an incredible position to do something quite special this season. Yet there is still that, that lingering doubt for some reason, about Corbrand's abilities. Um, but for Neil Critchley... It might be because they've, because they've got the third lowest XG from open play in the whole division. Yeah, yeah of course. And I'm maybe not, because... I'm by no means at all sitting here saying that that is wrong. I'm not saying yeah. that the fans are wrong about this at all. You're right to raise what is an interesting state of affairs. It's a wrinkle, as you always say. Oh, lovely. A quirk. Mm, yeah. Sam Quirk. Great. No, I agree. Um, obviously, this one's about... The match winner, Sorba Thomas, uh, he's now got three goals and eight assists, which is a lovely, lovely 11 combined uh, around Christmas time. A fantastic uh, breakout star, of course, of the championship season, having stepped up from non-league with Boreham Wood. I think the story is known by now, and sometimes there's a risk with the likes of Brierton Diaz or Sorba Thomas that... We talk about them so much. We enjoy the stories, and then they become established, and we and we we sort of move on because there's always something else new, and maybe then you don't end up giving as much 
due credit and as much excitement or the excitement doesn't linger as long as it should do. But uh, as soon as he scored that first goal and the celebration for the first and his second goal as well was sensational. And it just reminded me to say, we love Sorba. Um, what a fantastic mm. performance. Toffolo's assist for Huddersfield's first was sensational. Yes, great ball. As I mentioned the other day, I'm desperately trying not to talk or think about Danny Ward of Huddersfield at the moment because he looks like an Australian fast bowler and they are haunting my dreams. But he is also in fine form and that was a cl- oh, one of my favourite crosses and headers of the season so far. Sensational. Neil Critchley, understandably pretty frustrated here because, as you said, Blackpool, to all intents and purposes, put together an excellent first hour, uh, were, were, were well good enough for their 2-1 lead and... Very hard to say, isn't it? But I think would have been very good for all, all three points had that level of performance continued and they'd seen it out without a uh, a rash challenge or two from Gabriel. So uh, not one to get too down from if you're Blackpool. I mean, huge frustration, sure. But hopefully once the dust settles, you know, a satisfaction, I suppose, at the very least to the performance level, the goal from Yates, the goal from Adine, Lavery coming off the bench as well and having those guys fit, plus Bowler coming to the fore a bit, mu- a bit more over the last few weeks to help. Um, share the creative load with the magnificent Keshi Anderson. There's still a lot to like here um, and I wouldn't be too concerned about them. Blackpool at home to Middlesbrough tomorrow night will be a, a very interesting fixture because Middlesbrough picked up a win. And you're right, George. I think we probably are going to talk again about Middlesbrough in glowing terms. And why wouldn't we? They beat Nottingham Forest 2-0. This was a really intriguing fixture. Clearly two sides who had started the season poorly. Certainly in the case of Forest, Borough you know, kind of just about below par or adequate at best under Warnock, whose chances of promotion, whose whole atmosphere around the club has completely changed with the hiring of Steve Cooper and of Chris Wilder, who've picked up a lot of points points since they came in, both of whom will have will have had one or two eyes on, uh, who knows, an automatic promotion place, certainly a top six finish. Uh, so this was a significant game. Uh, and Middlesbrough won it 2-0. What did you make of proceedings? It was as complete a performance we've seen from a championship side in a long time. Um, They were superb and it was made all the more impressive, you know, forest fans and people who've watched the highlights will obviously point at Ryan Yates, back pass um, where he didn't look up to see where Bree Samba was. And he basically just kicked into the goal about five foot to the right of Samba or Samba's right. um, If you haven't seen it, picture Naby Sarr's own goal in the, fourth minute of the League One playoff final 2019 f- I reckon for Charlton against Sunderland it was similar anyone who's listening to this podcast who has such a good memory that they can just envisage SARS back pass in that playoff final I'm going to say probably watched the highlights of the EFL this weekend it's an iconic EFL moment it's an iconic EFL moment that anyone <laughs> listening to the podcast should instantly be able to conjure do I do I expect that there's a large chunk of the listenership who might have been busy on Boxing Day, who might not have watched the highlights from the two championship games that happened on Boxing Day. Maybe their what team's game was cancelled. Yeah, I could believe that. <laughs> and that's our job to catch up and, and, and paint pictures for them with our words. Indeed. Indeed. Um, they, uh, yeah, I mean, that was obviously, there wasn't much skill involved from Borough there in, in terms of taking the lead. But Great I always think you can... <laughs> You, you can judge a lot on how good a team are by how they perform when they're ahead. And the fact that Middlesbrough just didn't let go of control throughout the game uh, from 1-0 up at a fairly early stage against the side of Nottingham Forest who came into it unbeaten in their last, I think it was eight. Um, 
was incredibly impressive. Uh, Forest would have gone there really fancying themselves to to end the the Wilder honeymoon uh, in a, in a state of, of honeymoon bliss themselves. Uh, but but Borough by far the better side, and there were individual performances throughout that were so so good. I mean, I know that Borough fans are, are going through an incredible. Um, love affair with with Matt Crooks at the moment and he was sensational again on the day Isaiah Jones at right wing back is putting in some incredible performances Neil Taylor looks a completely different player to the Neil Taylor that we've seen for the last 15 years um, as a left wing back a a proper attacking force and Wilder doing Wilder things by taking players who aren't necessarily um, I should say Wilder and and Alan Neil taking players who aren't necessarily of an age where you'd expect them to improve. Not just improving them, but, but revolutionising the way they play and the way that they can impact games. Um, they are the real deal at the moment, and it's taken so little time for him to get them there. Uh, Martin Pajero coming off the bench is going to be another player who I have no doubt is going to flourish under Wilder um, and his system as well. Um, they had more possession than, than Forrest, despite taking the lead early. You know, Forrest had had few chances Um to, to really get back into the game. I know Silver hit the hit the woodwork, but yeah, realistically, this was a, a 2-0 dominant victory for, for Borough. You mentioned Crooks and you mentioned Jones. I mean, the whole of Borough's right side, it, they, they seem to really favour that side in, in build-up and you can understand why. Dyke Steele as the right centre-back um, is not quite going full Chris Basham by any means in terms of, of overlapping from that position, but is certainly um, bringing the ball forward well and combining well with the incredible Isaiah Jones the hugely impressive Matt Crooks who's probably uh, always struggled with being pigeonholed as the footballer that he absolutely isn't <laughs> uh, because of his his size uh, and Sporar is the right-sided forward who you know I have to bring up the fact that you did mention on the betting show that he hasn't looked like much of a threat from open play I can I agreed with you he did score a goal from open play in this game but you know it, it is true that that that's probably been the weakest part of his game in recent weeks, uh, open play goal threat, because in terms of linking play, uh, making clever runs, stretching defences, uh, he's absolutely performing at a very good level. And uh, I wasn't sure when I well, I tried to watch some Scout clips of him when Borough first signed him, uh, clips from his, his previous stints with Sporting Lisbon in particular. Um, I didn't necessarily see... Uh, I didn't see enough that I was really excited, put it this way, about the signing. Um, and he's... Would I go as far as to say he's, he's proving that initial thinking wrong? No, but I've been impressed with, with the way he's adapted to championship football. Now, uh, I want to tell you about my favourite highlight from this game because it, there was just something really weird about it and weird and wonderful. There's a highlight where the ball is played to Dale Fry, the central defender of, of Borough's back three, and Forrest refused to press him. They the 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 forest uh, front three. They do not trigger a press. They sit off and they try and block passing lanes uh, into the midfield. And so Fry stands with the ball at his feet. And I timed this for eight seconds without moving, <laughs> waiting for for movement off the ball, waiting to see if there would be a press brigade, uh, a press <laughs> a press a press brigade. Uh, That's nice. Waiting to see if there'd be any triggering of any tresses um, <laughs> that he could play through, uh, and they and there were and there weren't. Uh, Forest were in a very set shape, and they were daring Borough to to try and play through them basically. And Fry played a pass into Housen, who had dropped. No, sorry, Housen had dropped in uh, towards the ball, but he was covered well, so that pass wasn't on. Then Crooks also dropped in from deep, and he was able to receive the ball. At which point, as the ball was played to Crooks, Housen darted past his marker 
past Crooks and received a little flick from Crooks and ran into space, at which point the two up top, they both made separate runs outside of their defenders, Hernandez from the left, Sporar to the right. Uh, the ball was played left to Hernandez, who received it on the left edge of the box, at which point Tavernier, the other central midfielder, had broken his neck to get past his marker into the box, and the ball across from Hernandez ended up finding Sporar, whose shot was well saved by Samba. Fry had the ball at his feet for eight seconds without moving, and then in the next eight seconds from him playing a pass, Burra sliced through the middle of a set forest defence, an impressive forest structure under Cooper, and created a good chance, and, and that really, really excited me. Um, it, was, uh, it was great football. And, George, all weekend I just had this phrase in my mind, and I, I didn't want to just say it for clickbait purposes, but I wanted to ask you how ridiculous it is for me to suggest that Middlesbrough have the best manager in the championship. And following on from that, having the best manager in the championship generally sends you very close to the top of the championship because Leeds under Bielsa did not have the best squad. We knew that from previous seasons, but they had the best manager and that took them places. I dare say we could go through most seasons and there'd be a team in the top two, the top three, top four. Maybe we look at Barnsley and Ishmael last season. If you have the highest performing manager or one of the two highest performing managers, let's say, I think you're going to get places. And I'd, I'd like to know who'd be put forward to, to beat Wilder in this battle. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I, I, I think you're right in terms of saying Wilder looks the best. I think in terms of what he's achieved, he's the best. Uh, and what he's doing at the moment has him operating at a high level. Um, I know a lot of people would probably... You know, would Fulham fans say that Marco Silva's better? Maybe. Um, would Bournemouth fans say that Scott Parker's better? Maybe. But I think in terms of, of a track record, um, I think their profiles would, would, you know, Scott Parker's probably seen to have no ceiling to his managerial ability um, because of who he was as a player. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I said at the time when, when Wilder was going to Borough and um, Scott Eddie Parker Howes, wears Chris Wilder pyjamas after the way Borough when, schooled Bournemouth <laughs> last weekend. Well... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Park would point to the three sitters they missed at nil-nil in the first half. Um, but I, um, you know, I said at the time when when Borough were, were hiring Wilder and um, and Eddie Howe was going to Newcastle, I, I, you know, I thought that was the wrong way around. I thought Newcastle had had recruited the the worst of two managers who had taken um, big steps from League Two up into the Premier League and ended up with their team getting getting relegated and therefore their reputation taking a hit. I think Wilder, as a tactician, um, has a much better track record of, of improving players and improving teams without spending a lot of money. Um, and he's showing it now. You know, I think they're incredibly lucky to have him. That's no slight on Borough, but there's no way he should have been taking a, a mid-table championship job. But for whatever reason, his stock had fallen enough that no one in the Premier League was was, was going to take that chance on him. So, um, yeah, I mean, I uh, he's been helped by the fact that the two teams who we saw as being so far clear of the rest um, are going through such a difficult period at the moment but there's no reason why Borough can't be have their sights firmly set on those top two places rather than just a, a playoff berth because they're you know the, the, the rate they're closing at the moment it won't be too long till they're there now let alone in May mm. I do want to just flag up that as impressed as I was as you clearly were by Middlesbrough's performance here and fully deserving of their win from a forest perspective i absolutely think it appeared like a drop in performance level from where they've been at the last few weeks i suspect that was a lot to do with the quality of the opposition rather than 
something horrendously wrong for Nottingham Forest. They will also understandably point to the fact that Jed Spence couldn't play. And it was a, a young 18, 19-year-old called Finn Back, son of uh, World Cup winning rugby union player Neil Back, uh, who played at right wing back and Colback having to play at left wing back where he's perfectly good. How but... many times have you just said the word back in 10 seconds, do you reckon? I said do you reckon it... you've ever said it more? I said it back to back at one point. Yeah, clever. Um, sorry, mate. I'm in mid flow here. I um, I've lost my train of thought. They will point to a lot of reasons why their performance might have been a little bit lower than usual. And yet, there was a moment in the first half. I'm not sure it was on the Quest highlights where Zinc got played in, and his first touch was so uncharacteristically bad as to send the ball straight into the hands of the grateful goalkeeper, uh, Joanna Lumley, in goal for for Middlesbrough. And it was so unlike Zinc, who is known for technical quality, close control, who we've seen over the last two months just executing in the final third. And then in the second half at 1-0, Johnson gets the ball, does a little dart, a little shimmy, round the outside, cut back, Zinc, nine, ten yards out, over the bar. And, you know, it wasn't a game of millions of chances and if Forrest had done what they have done pretty well in the last two months and just take a, a decent proportion of their chances even one of the of those two um it could look like a very different game so I wanted to flag that up because I thought it was an interesting conundrum for me I, th- I didn't think Forrest were great I thought Borough were absolutely deserving of their win and yet I would also be it would be remiss of me not to point out that Forrest had two opportunities that in recent weeks they have been taking and they could very easily have avoided defeat here so again I'm not too down on on uh, on Forest after that. The top, well, the top part of the table, Fulham not playing. But yesterday we saw West Brom play against Derby, and we saw Bournemouth play against QPR. Uh, now my analysis of these games is somewhat impacted by the fact that my day on Monday, the twenty seventh of December, was watched three EFL games on Sky Sports back to back in the pub, and so. Towards that late game, QPR Bournemouth, not a lot of, not a lot of lucid, you know, insightful thoughts. George, what did you make of QPR nil Bournemouth one? Quite lively, especially at the end. Um, a nice little fight broke out, which was always good to see. Don't remember that. Sounds exciting. Uh, Andre Dazel sent off in the ninety seventh minute. Do you remember that? Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. Um, please drink responsibly. Um, in yeah, in the first half, uh, especially in the first twenty or so minutes, I thought QPR looked the better side. Um, they looked to me to be probably the more likely to to score. And then Bournemouth grew into the game. Um, Solanke missed an absolute sitter uh, where he should have taken the lead, and and you wondered then was it going to be the same old story again? Was this going to be another example of Bournemouth creating chances, not taking them, and then being punished at the other end? But no. Uh, it was a much more difficult opportunity that Solanke soon afterwards put in uh, a junior Stanislas set piece, nodded into the kind of uh, a glancing head and nodded into the far corner by Solanke. Stanislas, I think, making his first start of the season, wasn't he? Uh, in for, for Jaden Anthony, a player who I think because of injury, a lot of us have forgotten about. Um, but he was a key part of Bournemouth's side when they were a good Premier League team. And there's no reason why if he's fit and firing, he can't be a massive um positive for them going forward for the rest of the campaign uh, his set piece delivery is very good his set piece shooting ability is very good and he's a, a general live wire as well so good to see him back playing Anthony did come on for him and for the second week in a row 
although this one was much easier. I missed um, Flufter's lines at the back post with an opportunity to put the game to bed. Uh, but generally, the way that Bournemouth saw out the, the game was the most impressive thing for me. Not many teams stifled QPR the way that Bournemouth did. Ilias Chair going off at half-time, uh, injured, made a big big impact. I think that um, prevented QPR from being the force that they normally are. But as a means to end a bad run, send a bit of a message out to the rest of the league against the side in QPR who'd have seen this as an opportunity not just to get three points but to close on Bournemouth themselves. Uh, yeah, it was a big a big win for them and um, and the, the manner of it and the way that they were able to see it out. You know, early on in the campaign we spoke about how good Bournemouth were at basically protecting Leeds and that hasn't been the case recently and they'd have thought back to the Coventry game, they'd have thought back to the Derby game, uh, the Fulham game as well but none of it at all. They were, they were pretty confident in the way that they were able to see it out and win one now. Solanke missed an easy-ish header. I, I I think heading's really hard, so I don't think I'd ever call a header easy. Missed quite an easy one, didn't he? And then scored a, a very impressive flicked header uh, to be the match winner. He, he's got 17 league goals already by Christmas, which, again, you know, because of Mitro and Brierton Diaz, we're probably sleeping a little bit on just how impressive Solanke's uh, output has been so far this season uh, with those 17 goals in 24 games. QPR... It feels like they head into January just with a little bit of uncertainty. A lot of it just not their fault. Like they missed 20, they didn't play a game for 22 days, did they? And they obviously yeah. went through the ringer with COVID. They're in such a strong position in in the league table. You know, they've just dropped out of the playoffs because of, of losing with Borough and Huddersfield winning, but they've got two games in hand over those two and they're a point behind. In PPG terms, uh, that you know, they're very much... Uh, uh, fifth equal with Stoke City, who are on the same amount of points from the same amount of games, and yet, yeah, you know, by no means a poor performance yesterday. It feels like they kind of huffed and puffed, but as you say, I think missing chair in the second half w- would have been pretty key for them. Uh, he now, I don't know whether he'll be going to Afcon or not, and how poor that injury will be. But they have got a bit of uncertainty when it comes to Afcon. Their their goalkeeper Seni Dieng uh, is is down to go. Uh, Kakai, who played mm. right wing back, is down to go, and chair mm. of course as well. If it, if they, they all of them feel like not Kakai, who's who you know he came off for a doma. I think a doma's fine in that position. They've got Odabajo as well kicking around um, at the moment. But the other two, I think there's a big drop off in quality. You've got Jordan Archer coming in for Dieng, um, who I don't rate that highly at this level, and I do rate Dieng highly. So I think that's a big big drop drop off and then George Thomas maybe is the most like for like replacement for chair if they're going to play this dual 10 system I suspect they might play two up top and just just have Willock in that operating in behind you know in which case they've got again they've got decent options with with Austin and Gray and Dykes two of three um, you can talk yourself into that so it's a it's an uncertain period I'd say coming up for QPR you don't I don't expect them to do a huge amount of January transfer business because that doesn't really seem the way that they approach things at the moment. But, um, you know, they're, they're not far off. So they're in that position where could you see them getting talked into maybe overstretching a little bit or stretching a bit more, I should say, in the transfer market? Possibly. Interesting one to watch that. Uh, West Brom lost 1-0 to Derby. George, I do remember this one. Blood <laughs> Derby and West Brom have played. Should we just pause? <laughs> Go on. Just pause the podcast and just play another one of our uh, chats about West Brom this season. Well, Although, I mean, I think they've probably created less here than, than we've been, than we've seen them on plenty of times this season. Across two games between Derby and West Brom this season, West Brom have had 44 shots to Derby's seven. That's six times as many. 
They've had 14 shots on target to Derby's one. It's 14 times as many shots on target. Uh, Derby have scored the one goal and, and West Brom haven't. And I think, as you just alluded to, my general stance of this poor run from West Brom, which has been, well, they're just cursed in front of goal, but they're still doing pretty good stuff in all areas. That took a bit of a hit here because I didn't feel like that. And it feels from what you just said, like you kind of felt similarly. <laughs> Yeah, there weren't as, you know, so many times I'd have, if I'd been chatting to a uh, a West Brom fan after a game, having watched them toil and, and struggle to put a team away, you know, that, that Derby first game being one of them, you'd say, you know, it, it you didn't deserve what you got there. You know, if that makes sense, you created a lot of chances. You may not have... Um, you may not have got the, the goal that you deserve, but if you carry on playing like that, you'll be fine. That wasn't really the case here. Um, the the goal itself the um, came from a, an individual error from Sam Johnson, really poor from him, just a complete um, aberration, really, from a keeper who's, who's normally pretty reliable. But they didn't create loads going forward. You know, they scored a, a disallowed goal just before, um, which would have turned, changed the game. But again, obviously, you can't really um, dine out on disallowed goals. Um, and then even at, at 1-0 to Derby, it didn't really feel like they were putting them under that much pressure. Um, I anticipated a complete barrage from from the baggies, and I think they, you know, in the, in the half an hour when they went one 0 down, they got they had one corner, which is not what you anticipate from a, a Valerian Ishmael side who are normally so attritional in terms of the way that they attack. You'd have thought they'd be on top of them with plenty of at least set piece opportunities to get their way. Um, important as ever, I think to to not focus too much on the fallen the fallen favourite in West Brom and give Derby some credit because this is another example again where they have. Um, been written off and they've come back and they've put in a great performance and they've won a game. Um, any ideas about their um, motivation being lacking uh, are clearly not true. And I just wonder, Ali, are you, are you there yet, mate? Are you are you starting to count the, the gap between Derby and uh, and safety? I'm, I don't need to count it. I know it. What is and it? I, and I know that it's just still a huge gap. <laughs> well, how big is it? It's 14 points off uh, Reading at this stage. How points. how big is the gap between them and Barnsley? Seven points. Okay, so when they when they draw level with Barnsley, do we do we relegate Barnsley? There's nothing. There's there's <laughs> really nothing in the way that they're playing for me to suggest that they're going to make up that gap, even if they've just beaten West Brom in a performance that you called very impressive, or however you just described it. And I, I I'm not sure if I can bring myself to go that far with it. It was a do you not do you not think impressive, stopping... It was very impressive that they won that game. I'm incredibly impressed with the mentality, with the work rate. I'm incredibly impressed with their manager. I'm incredibly impressed with the young players coming in way before their time and performing and picking up points at the championship level. But, I mean, they didn't do a huge amount in the game. It was, a, it was, you know, West Brom, they did fairly well to not allow West Brom loads of chances, you know, massive chances. But again... It's hard that's for me to watch it, that game and go like that's a huge performance. They're not a. I, I I understand that there's a huge difference in the strength of the squads, but I don't really want to frame this as like a sort of League Two team playing a Premier League team in the cup. No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. But if we're going to sit here saying that this wasn't the same old story for West Brom and they didn't create as many chances and it wasn't, then surely the flip side of that is well done, Derby, for managing a game against a side who'd normally create loads of chances and, you know, also made a couple of big saves. But realistically, Baggies just struggled to, to implement their game plan and, and do. I mean, obviously, with players missing as well, that played a big part. Um, Adam Reach and Dan Garner starting the side of Robinson, no. 
Um, no, uh, Carlin Grant and um, Hugh Gill. I think his time at, at West Brom is going to come to a close pretty quickly if uh, if they can have anything about it and bring in a striker in Jan. Um, but that's what they've got to do. You know, if this Derby side, if Derby are going to get out of this mess, it's not going to be because they're going to turn into an incredibly slick attacking team. It's because they're going to turn these games into into very very fine margin games. And if they have, if that is built upon a defensive unit where you can prevent teams who are such better than you, and have better players than you uh, from creating chances, and that gives them a fighting chance. Again, I'm not sitting here saying I think it's going to happen, but, but they're I not. Do think- those ga- they're not coming out on the right side of those games. They did in this game, but they've they're not winning. Okay. They're not really winning but games, their- and they can't just Fine. they can't just keep it low margin and hope that they get on the right side of it with a goal from a massive like cock up at the back they have to if they're going to survive they have to play as i've said a million times at a level whatever it is high playoff low playoff seventh eighth whatever the average points is they have to play at a level where they win games of football by being the better side and winning games of football and then they haven't really done that so i i i i praise derby for incredible another great day another impressive win i'm not you're not going to get me to draw you know i'm just not I'm just not getting over the, <laughs> over the top about it because I think it's unfair, mate. I think it's unfair to raise people's expectations. What I would say is, did quite like the cameo of uh, Tom Fellows off the bench for West Brom. Uh, I saw Gardner Hickman came on. Uh, Fellows had been on for a few minutes and he did a couple of quite lively bits and bobs, which at first I thought was Gardner Hickman, then realised that it was this young chap, Tom Fellows. He was jolly good, unsurprisingly, given his surname. Um, I'd like to see a little more of him. He ran in behind when necessary. He peeled wide. He looked technically pretty good. Uh, I'd like to see a bit more of him and certainly fairly bored of watching most of West Brom's strikers. So maybe a few more minutes for fellows. Livermore, I thought, was excellent Some, in this game as yeah. well. Um, certainly West Brom's standout for, for me uh, in the game. And yeah, a bad day for those who last week um, got a bit upset that Sam Johnston wasn't the goalkeeper in my uh, team in the season so far. Yeah, he has conceded the fewest goals of any goalkeeper in the championship. And no, that's not how I base how you should put a, you know, who you should pick in your team. He's there are five goals that he's conceded this season that I'm not happy with from my goalkeeper. This probably the most egregious, but goals against Blackburn, QPR, and to a lesser extent Luton and Stoke. He is a goalkeeper that makes sensational saves. I've no doubt he is probably the best goalkeeper in the league. If I ha- if I was starting a championship franchise today and I could pick up a, a goalkeeper at will, I'd probably pick Sam Johnston. He's in the, he's in the England squad for goodness sake. It doesn't necessarily mean he should be the goalkeeper in the team of the season so far, and that's happening too regularly. I know the extreme high line makes him vulnerable, but even so, you know, and and I also know that Kipre played his role in that. By the way, with a, a lack of communication between the two of them, but those are important things for goalkeepers, and you know, it's. It's ended up with with his team losing a game where they were barely troubled at all, realistically, defensively. Um, Ebersele, maybe the most impressive Derby player. Um, Festy. Very versatile, isn't he? And I think... Festive Festies, he's known. (laughs) Yes, festive Ebersele. Um, um, Well done, Wayne Rooney. Well done, Derby County. Um, Very impressive three points. And, And a quick, just because... You know, we have to remember sometimes that all of our listeners don't live on Twitter like us. Um, on the West Brom stuff, there was John Percy um, with a story on Christmas Eve saying that Daryl DK, who's obviously been linked ever since Valerian Ishmael walked into the club, uh, that Baggies are in talks with DK about bringing him in on loan uh, from Orlando City. I feel sorry for Daryl DK because I feel like this is, he's never going to get a break. 
he's just going to go EFL straight into MLS, <laughs> back to EFL, back to MLS. Um, oh, so he lives but... in Orlando. He should just be at Disneyland for, for the next I few know. months. God, I had a weird night in Disneyland a few years ago. Um, but <laughs> mm, <laughs> no, was just, normally just... I would brush past that because we haven't normally got time to talk about this. But anything no, what, you can, I think I think I speak for all listeners when I'd like to know a little no, more about. No, no, it wasn't. Your it, big it night was at Disney. Boring. It was just it was just weird because we were driving through Florida and we needed somewhere to stay. And looked on Google Maps and realised we were about four miles from Disneyland. So we decided to stay there for the night, which was the worst thing we've ever done. Uh, it was quite fun going to like, downtown Disney and having dinner, <laughs> having twenty minutes earlier, just been not thinking we we're going to be in Disneyland. Uh, but then it was only when we went to sleep that we remembered that Disneyland's full of children. And therefore, going somewhere for a night's kip and staying in Disneyland is not very fun because there are just screaming kids all night. So, I, I not very exciting, I but still, an interesting evening. I still think there's more to it. I think we could try and unpick what happened in downtown Disney <laughs> one day, maybe on a, on a separate pod. And we had five League One games, George. I'd like to start with Fleetwood nil, Shrewsbury 3, because we haven't spoken in positive terms about Shrewsbury after any away games this season. They, they'd they lost nine and drawn two of 11. Shout out to every single Shrews fan in that Fleetwood away end who has seen their team barely score a goal, barely pick up a point away from home this season and probably travelled hundreds, maybe even a thousand or so miles uh, watching a insipid away side. This was anything but, George. Shrews playing some brilliant stuff. All three goals, delightful in their own way. And it just looked... Like there was a, a vim about this shrew side, which a vim and vigor. Some turnaround from oh, probably what three weeks ago. I'm excited. Yeah, so am I. Back to back league wins uh, for the first time since that incredible run last season when Steve Cottrell came in, um, and they've scored three goals in back to back games. And I, I couldn't even find how long I had to go back to find out when the last time Shrewsbury did that. Uh, and as you say, brilliant goals too. Um, Josh Vela being probably the star of the show not only was it a great goal uh, his uh, his first but also the assist for the second a couple of really good bits of um, just he was just very snapping um, at the heels wasn't he yeah exactly he won the um, ball like real, three times real tenacity in five in seconds of, yeah twice um, and it was great and then, and then had the presence of mind to, to lay it off to Udo and Udo's fit was as sumptuous as you're going to see um, a player who's obviously just full of confidence at the moment and and Shrewsbury went to you know a Fleetwood side who have been abject of late but let's not forget that they came into this with seven points in their last three games having beaten uh, both Bolton and Gillingham fairly comfortably at home so this is a an impressive performance, a bit of a blow for Stephen Craney, um, new Fleetwood manager, uh, to, you know, uh, after that decent run that got him the job, to go down here to what looks on paper at least like a very poor result against the Shrewsbury side who are still um, not in um, the best position in the league. But, you know, based on the performances at the moment, that's going to change pretty soon. And, and Cotterill, you know, credit to the club for, for keeping the faith in him because I think a couple of months ago we all wondered if... Uh, if he was still going to last that long in the job, but they are looking like a very, very good side now. You know who I've really enjoyed recently, who, who, in terms of performances this season, had massively crept under my radar, possibly because Shrews' own form was pretty poor, is, and I never thought I'd be talking about him on the pod in such glowing terms, Luke Leahy. I thought Luke Leahy was a sort of a wing-back who you wouldn't really want as a left back in a four, but you know a good wing back in a in a three at the back formation, 
at League Two level, sure. League One level, maybe. Wasn't necessarily someone at this level that I would get particularly excited about. What I'd missed was, although he has played some games uh, down the sides this season, he's also played five games at centre-back, including last weekend uh, in their win. He played left, uh, left-sided, left or maybe even, I think he was the central of the three centre-backs, which seemed insane to me. And then this uh, in this game, he played central midfield, which is where he's played the majority of his games this season. He's played 10 games per who scored in, in a central midfield position, three goals, two assists uh, in those games. He played the most beautiful defence-splitting pass through to Ogbetta, who squared it for Bowman for the tapping for the first goal. It's one of the nicest passes I've seen this season. And I sort of looked into it a little bit more. Like his progressive passing numbers are brilliant. <laughs> you know, we talk nice. about someone like Dean Lewington at, at MK Dons, the, the 38, 39 year old plays left-sided centre-back and who just is so good at just picking, you know, just threading passes through, starting attacks, yeah. breaking lines, um, bypassing defenders. And, I'm not saying Lee, he's quite up there with Lewington yet, but so far this season, his progressive passing has been brilliant. The, the most amazing example, as I mentioned, was on the weekend, but just watch him play. And yeah, really, really tidy central player now, um, which is not something I'd ever expect. So he's kind of reinvented himself. And I, I love that. I respect that. And I needed to make sure that we give Luke Leahy lots of credit. I know Shrews fans, you know, I, I think they've got that rather fun thing where they're obsessed with him but they didn't expect to be at all they didn't really know where these performances have come from um that's why you do it isn't it that's why you travel to every single away game for your team even when they're miserable because of days like right, that away end looked sensational some great mm. uh some great alternative angles behind the scenes match footage on the shrews twitter account the udo goal understandably sparking Bedlam in the away end, their biggest away league victory since March 2015. Let's talk Accrington 1, Rotherham 0, George. Even aside from the romantic nature of Accrington celebrating 20 years of Coleman and Bell in the dugout, on a purely footballing level, they did something that no League One team has done in 16 and beat the Millers. 21 in all comps, wasn't it? Wow. Um, on, on the Coleman and Bell thing, um, a philosophical question for you, Ali. Hello. If you Coleman are ma- if Bell, you're married, solicitor services. How can I help? If you're if you're married, and then you break up, you should ask me this in six months' again. time when I'm getting married. <laughs> and uh, and you get back together again. Yeah. Do you just do you just wedge on the two the two spells and call it a, call it a twenty year anniversary? Well, it wasn't very specifically. It wasn't twenty years since they took charge. I know. It was twenty I mean. so, so, years so, worth so of pull football. Out. Exactly. Mm. So you just pull out the middle part, pretend it never happened. Um, well, otherwise, what would you do? Just say like, <laughs> "Oh, Coleman and Bell—they've only been in charge for ten years." But everyone <laughs> no, knows that's not true. There's a, I think you wait till there's a nice, a nice game milestone. Oh, you wait for the games. Yeah, I'm being a bit silly because I actually love John Coleman and I loved reading uh, a few of the articles about his tenure there and I loved especially the fact that he's won which I didn't realise he's won four promotions at the club and all four have been title wins which I think is quite cool um, and on 5 Live they played a a clip of uh, of Clem interviewing um, him and he's asked Clem says to him you know do you do you want to manage higher you know do you still have aspirations to manage if he had any aspirations of, of managing in, in the championship uh, in the premiership come on 
John, it's the Premier League. Uh, but interestingly, he said, yeah, he said he told the owners that he wants to. He told him that he uh, he wanted to do that. And then immediately said, why can't I do it with Accrington? And that kind of seems to sum up where he's been through so much with that club, taking him so far. His success has been normalised to an extent, which just shows what an incredible job that he's done. You know, him getting Accrington finishing mid-table in League One is probably as impressive a job as we see from most managers in the league. Um, and it was very fitting that on this milestone, uh, he was able to to put in the most um, John Coleman of or Accrington Stanley of displays where they came up against a side who no team in League One can beat um, and did a job on them, beat them 1-0. Sean McConville, a player that he signed from Skelmersdale United back in, I think, 2009 for Accrington. He then signed him again at Rochdale on loan when he left Accrington, then went back to Accrington and brought McConville back with him. You know, he signed him three times, the player that's played more games, more minutes uh, for Coleman than any other with um, I think his first goal of the season um, yeah just an amazing and you know the, the scenes behind the goal were, were absolutely superb a, a brilliant brilliant day for them and um, for Rotherham I guess you could almost say it's been coming they um, they haven't been at their best I wouldn't say in the last couple of weeks the Cambridge game you know they they nicked a, a win there against a side who I think if they'd played the way they had been previously they'd have won it fairly comfortably and it's now up to Paul Warren to make sure because because they had their poor start um, normally when you win as many games or as many points as they have you would put yourself um, put distance between you and the rest of the league but that, that isn't the case you know if they do slip up there are teams right on their heels waiting to uh, to come up and challenge them so um, interesting to see how they react but all about Accrington on the day McConville said he's like a second dad to me I have that close bond and relationship with him which I hope will continue long after I finish playing and long after he's retired from being a manager Beyond being a manager, I'd say he's one of my best mates, which is probably rare oh. in football. Any struggles I have, he's the first port of call. He's helped me massively on the pitch and off the pitch. I was lucky enough to give uh, for him to give me my first chance in the EFL. I'll always have that gratitude for him. He put his faith in me and paid money for me when I was 18 years old. I made a bit of a bad decision to go to Stockport. I was young and naive. Even though I was at other clubs, I'd still go and see him for a pint on a Sunday or go for a coffee with him during the week. What a man. Love it. Coleman Love and it. Bell. They are perfect. They are amazing. They're absolute mustard. Can't say it enough. They are four tiers higher than they were when they first took charge of Accrington. That is the equivalent of going from the National League to the Premier League to steal Clem's stat. Constant improvement. They don't suffer from getting stale. They don't suffer from, oh, they've taken us as far as they can. They just keep going. They stay loyal to some, but they keep they keep turning over the squad. They keep finding gems. They're not just good in the transfer market. They're good on the training ground. They develop players. They improve players. They make semi-professional players into professional players. And invariably, they let them move on when the time comes. They don't really stand in people's way. Uh, they've obviously had a bit of a spat with uh, Dion Charles, haven't they, this year, who is uh, heavily reported to be going to Bolton uh, when January starts in just a few days' time. But... Uh, sensational and what a day this was I was yeah it just it couldn't have been more perfect sometimes in the EFL things just feel like they're written uh, and Accrington winning this game a, an almighty scrap with Rotherham it was a very entertaining game even if it was ugly at times they more than stood up to, to Rotherham as you say for the first time uh, that anyone has in a good few months Doncaster nil, Sunderland 3 George this was yesterday live on Sky one of the biggest mismatches I've seen all season this one genuinely did feel like a League Two side playing a Premier League side in terms of the sheer quality and, well, the gap in confidence, in quality, <laughs> in basically anything you can measure. Yeah, Doncaster had no 
I mean, I say they had no answer for Sunderland. I, I, they didn't really even try. It looked like they turned up to try and make sure that the the, the scoreline stayed as um, as respectful as it could. And as soon as Ross Stewart put away that penalty for the first, it was a case uh, of how many. And I think the the only concern, well, not concern, the only um, issue Sunderland fans would would have with the result of the performance is they weren't able to make it four, five, six um, because at three nil after an hour, it felt like it could be any score. Um, Sunderland were decent. Uh, Dejaku looked incredibly lively, especially in the first half. A player who's had to kind of bide his time to, to play in the position the way he wants to play. He's played out on the wing. He's played at wing back. He was very good and his ball carrying was good. Um, he looks like a proper player. Uh, Elliot Embleton was probably the best player on the pitch. Dan Neal had a couple of moments where his touch and composure he's one of those players that just looks like he's got more time on the ball than anybody else on the pitch and that is always a pretty high marker for a uh, for a 10 centre midfielder and I absolutely understand why Sunderland fans are so smitten with him um, this is a Sunderland, fan to re- Sunderland team to really enjoy every part of them the way they attack the way they like to try and play and the characters involved too um, they were superb um, so yeah I mean it, it wasn't the hardest of tests I think if, if we hadn't seen a, a Similarly dominant performance from um, from them, we'd have asked questions, uh, but they did everything we expected. And for, for Doncaster, I think it's there's no point being too downbeat, to be honest, um, to see who, what happens in terms of the managerial search. But they came up against a side who should have been much better than them and were much better than them. Well, let's hope things turn around with the appointment of a new manager at some point. Uh, lots of discussion about who that might be. I've not seen anything particularly concrete. Um, Gary McSheffrey didn't have the easiest of situations in terms of injuries and uh, absences. A lot of young players, I think five academy graduates in the team. It was always going to be difficult against a, a team packed with the quality that Sunderland had. I think because of Sunderland's own absences, they were forced to play such an attacking team where they basically had Stewart, they had Embleton and Pritchard playing as dual tens. They had Neil and, and, uh, and Evans in midfield. Neil, of course, a very... Um, positive, attack-minded, technical player. They had Gooch and, and Diaku nominally as as wingbacks in a in a sort of three four two one or three four three, but as you say, like they were basically playing as high as anyone, um, and that was how they they approached it. They they went for the full blitz method, and it worked. Um, uh, I, I don't want to take for granted what Pritchard's doing because he's so good to watch. He's such a such a technician, and he looks in in full flow and. Yeah, I don't want to take that for granted because there'll be some people who say, well, obviously Pritchard should be doing this at this level. But we haven't seen him play a lot of football for two years, probably two, two and a half years. Uh, And I think, you know, we shouldn't just assume that that players who have their confidence knocked to quite such an extent, who miss that much game time, you know, we shouldn't assume that they'll always get that confidence or that fitness or that sharpness back. Um, Between 2013 and 2019, we watched Alex Pritchard play good football in the championship and some in the Premier League as well. Uh, now we're, we're seeing him do it in, in, in League One for, for Sunderland, but uh, perhaps not for very long because uh, more performances like that and they will be uh, challenging, that's for sure, those automatic promotion places. You sent me a message yesterday saying, Dejaku, I barely know you. <laughs> Which I liked. Yeah. You also wrote rather a good chant, chant uh, to the tune of Daddy Cool. I think you should sing it. I don't know this. I haven't got the lyrics in front of me, nor do I know the tune because it's, it's an something old about, song. Remember, George, probably from before I was born. Your, use your imagination because I might be an expletive, but something about him not liking the tune. Right, Leon Dayaku. Oh, cool. Daya, Dayaku, Daya, Daya. 
Dayaku. Yeah, nice. Let's see if that one pops off in the away end next Don't time. Don't see why it wouldn't. Um, Doncaster, mitigating circumstances, no manager, plus no confidence, plus seemingly quite small budget at the level, plus very poor squad, uh, plus injuries. But this year has been terrible. I had to remind myself, George, that on the 6th of February of this year, they had 48 points from 23 games. They were more than 20, more than two PPG in the first half of last season. They they had the same points as Hull, who you might remember famously won the division. Uh, they'd played three games more, Hull had, but they had the same amount of points as Donny. Lincoln were top at the time. They had three points more, but they'd played two games more. So Fleet, uh, Doncaster sorry, were PPG leaders on the 6th of Feb. From that point, they picked up 16 points from 23 games to finish the season. This season, they've picked up 16 points from 22 games, 8 wins, 8 draws, 29 defeats, 42 points, sorry, 32 points from 45 games. A season's worth, minus one game, of not even really being that competitive. And you can see why the fans would be quite so miserable after that after that 11 months. But it's not over. It's not over. There's 6 points from safety. You know, this isn't a derby situation. No, I'm being mischievous now. But, you know, it's there's more than half a season still to play for Doncaster. Just as much as they fell away in the second half of last season, they could absolutely pick up here. It does feel like the appointment needs to be perfect for the situation. And I'm not sure whoever walks in the door has a ton to work with, if I'm honest, in this squad. But that doesn't mean there couldn't be someone who catches lightning in a bottle because that's what we see happen pretty much every year with teams who, who look dead and buried at this point of the season. So some positives there. Cheltenham nil, Plymouth Argyle two back-to-back wins for Schumacher to nil as well. Charlton and now Cheltenham beaten by Argyle looking a little bit more like the mighty greens of September and October. Yeah, they were good. I mean, I think we should say uh, Cheltenham were not as poor as they have been recently. Cheltenham's recent form is, is pretty horrific to be honest um and you look at their you know under mike duff we've been so sure that they are going to be a competent compact hard to break down side well in their last um five games in the league they've conceded two five two three and two uh and just a a four three defeat to wimbledon in the fa cup wedged in there as well this is not what we've come to expect from from Cheltenham under Duff. Um, but they, you know, they, they went toe to toe with a decent side here in Argyle and there wasn't a great deal between the two sides. Another unbelievable goal uh, from Kamara, the opening goal. Um, just an, an amazing team, uh, team counter-attack really. Well, I think it starts with him uh, inside his own box and it's probably, what, seven or eight passes till he gets it again uh, just in the final third. A one-two with Joe Edwards and, and a lovely finish as well. Um, a really slick move that, is kind of of quality that we probably wouldn't expect to see too often uh, at the level. Uh, Jordan Garrick with a with a goal as well, and another player who you know he just the amount of attacking talent they've got is I always think overlooked. Where they've got five strikers who are probably of, of good League One level. Garrick being um, one of them who started here alongside Kieran Agard, but Niall Ennis, the one Niall Ennis and Luke Jeffcoat to come off the bench there with with Hardy not even getting on. Um, it is um, to have those. I mean, he's going to have a difficult time keeping those five strikers happy in terms of their their game time, but it's an amazing thing to be able to rotate between. And um, yeah, after a difficult little run for Argyle, they're, they're showing now, as I've said many times in the last few weeks, you know, don't rule them out as still being players in this uh, in this top six because they're a very good side. Peluche's performance was so dreamy. 
I mean, his his involvement in the first goal, which he finished off, but where he did so much more than just finish it off, was magnificent, showing the the sheer quality that he has in transition, uh, and then being involved in creating the the second goal as well. Um, watching a player like him develop from a a kid who came in at Crawley, who was so raw and who has just developed and improved constantly in front of our eyes over the last, what, four years? To the point where you're like, this isn't finished either. Like, next stop, Panuche Kamara Championship, with the skills that he has, the all-round ability that he has in so many different aspects of his game, would you be surprised if he slots very nicely into a championship midfield at some point next season? Absolutely no. not. And that is really, really worth pointing out because it's the beauty of the EFL in many ways. What is happening with Lincoln City. I don't know. They were 2-0 up against MK Dons. They were handed two goals. I mean, quite literally. The first was a, a fairly sort of quite comedy own goal from O'Hora. Couldn't get his feet right from a low cross and it ended up uh, banging it into, the, into his own goal. And then Daniel Harvey went one better, or one worse, who tried to buy a cheap free kick inside his own box and fell on the ball and just put his arm on it, just grabbed it. Um, which, you know, you can sort of understand people doing it in the centre of the park and more often than not, the ref just gives them a free kick because he can't be bothered with any drama. But here the ref went, hold on, mate, it wasn't a foul and that is a handball. So that's now a penalty to them, uh, which they made, which they scored and and it was 2-0 after 10 minutes and you just didn't, it didn't feel comfortable or safe at any point. Sure enough, MK came roaring back in the end. Scott Twine winning it for them with two goals um, to continue his incredible form. But Lincoln... Question mark, George. What? Why can't they play properly? Why know. can't they defend leads? Why can't they manage games? Why can't they create chances consistently? And why can't they defend resolutely? They're just they're just a side suffering from a massive crisis of confidence for whatever reason. Um, you know there there are issues in terms of personnel. You had Regan Poole playing as a as a centre back um, in the week because of of absentees. Um, but having said that, there's no, you know, you look at that that front six effectively or front five with, with Bridcut sitting with Bishop and McGrandles either side of, of Bridcut, Adelican, Maguire and Fiorini. I mean, yes, they might be lacking that um, focal point as a striker up top, but there's enough quality there to be a, a very, very good side. And, and you know, regular isn't it? They all want the ball to feet. They just want to knock it around. They want to come towards it. Give it to my feet. Good, I'll shift good, it off. Good, good Appleton sides are like that. You know, the, the, you know, regular listeners to this pod know that I'm I'm going to have to see a lot more than than a bad six months of a, of a Michael Appleton side to start wondering if I'm wrong about his his capabilities as a manager. But you know when his best Oxford side had had Kemar Roof playing up front, who again is is a similar player to to what we're seeing up front at the moment for Lincoln, and whether that's Scully or Maguire or whoever, somebody who isn't um, going to necessarily hold the ball up, isn't going to provide much of a physical threat. But you know his sides at their best are ball playing, attacking. Um, technical sides who don't really give the opposition any opportunity to attack because they keep the ball in, in, in dangerous areas themselves. Um, it's it's really poor. They are massively in danger of dropping into the relegation zone at the moment. And there's very little that we're seeing in terms of their performances to, to suggest they're going to be able to, to get out of it at the moment. Um, you know, Appleton himself has had a, a very, very difficult few months due to illness himself. And it, it would be unfair on everybody to speculate how much of an impact that's having. And I'm sure he personally would not want to use that as an excuse. Um, but it's 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 not looking good um and in a way i know a lot of people will scoff at this but going two and hell up at home thanks to two thanks to two individual errors 
well, aberrations more than errors at home against a very, very decent side could almost have been the worst thing possible because that is when suddenly you have to see out a game where you've done very little to get yourself in the driving seat in the first place. And this 3-2 defeat feels a lot worse than a regular defeat would do even at home in front. You know, it was a decent crowd on Boxing Day as well. So really hard to um, have anything positive to say for, for MK Dons. Uh, really impressive, as as is often the case after that horrific first 15 minutes. Um, twine with a couple of goals that I think the second really should have been an own goal, but let's not dwell on that too much. Um, and a, uh, a lovely finish from Matt O'Reilly, who was the standout player on the park probably. So uh, a, a big win for them. And in the same way that I said, you know, the, the circumstances of the, of the defeat for Lincoln couldn't really have been worse. Well, for MK, they can't really have been better. Uh, and it'll give them a, a big bit of belief going into this busy period. So Gab Sutton tweeted on Boxing Day, if you were to list the top five players in League One, who out of Scott Twine and Matt O'Reilly would make the cut? I'm going both. Interesting question. Caught the eye of at George Ellick on Twitter after a couple of wines, I reckon, who quote tweeted I've been it. Ill, mate. And you said, this is interesting. Both players who have a big future, but no doubt for me which one plays higher. In terms of pure talent, one gets in. Best five players for impact, maybe neither. Now, there's two things I want to ask here. You, you've, okay. you know, you're, you're, you're being clever and mysterious by just not naming which one is clearly obvious, <laughs> the one with more talent, there's the one a reason that more gets that. in. So tell us, so tell me what you're saying. The reason I didn't say it was because I didn't want to skew the, the vote. Um, I think O'Reilly will play at a higher level than Scott Twine. Mm-hmm. And when you say best five players for impact, maybe neither, what do you not think... I think so far this season, I would say there are five players whose individual impact for their side has had a more transformative effect on the season so far. Oh, it's like you're, it's like you're ready for that question. <laughs> that sounded so like <laughs> rehearsed. Um, like, yeah, because the, you don't, you know, the, it's why these individual awards are, are maybe silly. Um, but you know, I would argue that. I mean, who's a good player to, to use? He has got as... 11 goals and seven assists, mate. I know yeah, goals done, and assists think... aren't, aren't everything, but that is fairly transformative on a team who my... actually played nice stuff last season but didn't weren't that penetrative and, and actually didn't score as many goals as people probably think they did. I don't think that they are at a level... Basically, I think if, if Scott Twine or Matt O'Reilly were to be in that conversation of the best five, I think it would it would have MK Dons operating at a higher level than they are now, um, is kind of my point. I think MK Dons are, are, where, are, are at the very, very best where they should be. Um, I would argue that a couple of players, I mean, Kamara, Kamara might, might even be one. Like if you're looking, I'd say that Argyle players are interesting in this conversation, Rotherham players uh, as well. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's, but that's it's, why it's, it's, it's difficult, they're, they're isn't it? Silly. Because there's 11 players in a football team. So you could have two... In theory, let's ignore Twine and O'Reilly. In theory, you could have... that. You could have the two best players in the league and you could have nine useless teammates. It doesn't, you know... But that's not that. But that's not true. That's not the case with them. Like their, their squad is good. They have good players. But it, what we it makes the, you, the, the, flip, the flip side of it is how do you pick one Rotherham player and say they've been the most impactful when they are such a team unit? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But right. then also picking out just goals and assists would mean, well, let's just pick out the five players who've scored the most goals. No, that's true. That, but that is quite a good measure of impact um, on a team that needed goals and assists. I mean, it, yeah, it comes back. I just I found last week's task interesting, the teams of the season. And 
the more I thought about it, the more pleased I am that my way of doing it isn't looking at the league table going, West Brom are doing well, I need to pick a West Brom player, and then going, well, they haven't conceded many goals and Bartley's played the most minutes, so I'll put Bartley in. I think there's just that's something fair. I just don't like about that. Anyway. That's um, fair. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair enough. By the way, of the 33 players I picked across my three teams, there's one, because obviously got quite a lot of kickback, feedback, I'd say. Backlash would be over, an over-exaggeration. The, there's one I regret. <laughs> And I don't think Bannon. Ba- I don't think Bannon should have been in there. I think I've seen a few okay. bits that looked too good for the level, and I've probably extrapolated that. And I'm not sure the consistency has been there. The only can of worms that that creates is that I genuinely can't pick between Panucci and Dan Neal as his replacement, and I don't want to now make that decision because I got a lot of stick from Sunderland fans. I got a bit of stick from Argyle fans. And then they both played brilliantly on the weekend in this place. So there you go. I do regret the Bannon pick, uh, but I'm not telling you which of Kamara and Neil make make uh, make their way in for him. League two, I think we should start with Scunthorpe beating Oldham 3-1 because this was a genuinely huge football match between the team in 23rd and the team in 24th in the bottom tier of the EFL. And Scunthorpe went 1-0 down to a rocket from your favourite 18-year-old Portuguese left-back, Benny Couto, by the way. Be- Benoit Couto. How good. Mm. His emergence has been genuinely quite exciting. And he can certainly do stuff with a football that a lot of Oldham players can't do, even as seasoned vets at the level. But Scunthorpe came roaring back. And I don't want to just repeat what I said about Shrewsbury, George. But the manner of the way they won this game, the manner in which they came roaring back, and the quality of some of their play has me quite excited. And has me thinking that 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 Scunthorpe are a team to keep an eye on for the next few weeks. And there's probably an argument, George, that if you'd really looked closely, they might not have won a game under Keith Hill, but they had drawn the previous four. And if you looked and scratched the surface and looked at performances a little more, you probably might have seen this coming. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely a better side now than they were under Neil Cox. There's no denying that. I'd, I'd probably exercise some caution when it comes to beating Oldham at the moment. Um even though I do think there is a bit to like about the way that Oldham are attacking under Salim Benashur as a defensive force, as a defensive unit, they are looking really poor. Um, a key part here was, was Ryan Loft coming on for Aaron Jarvis at half-time, uh, a, a massive switch from Keith Hill, which changed the game with Loft getting two goals and an assist and hitting the woodwork. Um, he's a player who um, I've spoken about on the betting show a few times. I think if Scunthorpe are going to get out of this, I think he's going to have a big part to play because he's somebody who may not be the most clinical, but he gets into goal-scoring positions. Uh, Miles Hippolyte is, has looked very, very good under, under Hill so far. And for them to come back from 1-0 down, uh, and when this game 3-2 in the manner that they did uh, will certainly give them massive belief that they can uh, not only um, get out of this relegation issue, but do it quite soon because they are now out of the relegation zone. This is a terrible, as is always the case, the bottom end of League 2 is is so poor that it doesn't take much. That's only their third win of the season. But just a couple more wins would see them put distance between themselves and the bottom two pretty quickly. Uh, and under Keith Hill, you have much more faith it's going to happen than, than, than we did under Cox. Hippolyte was their best player by Miles, which is funny because he's called Miles Hippolyte. <laughs> uh, assisting yeah. Loft's first goal, scoring the second, just a bit of just a bit of skill, a bit of quality in the final third. Uh, just what they need, just what they've been improving on under Keith Hill. I, I don't want to say that they've been amazing under Hill, but trending better, I would say. Not mm. suddenly a top-half team or a playoff-level team, but much better and so much more of the season to come that... 
continuing on this form and and as you say wouldn't be a surprise to see them pull away which would be huge because they have been very much trending downwards for what do we reckon three years four seasons now Mm -hmm. and and this could be the start of something touch wood hippolyte uh the problem that i have with hippolyte is this is when football manager and real life get mixed up get a bit confusing as a lot of people know uh, on the NTT20 squad, on the gaming channel that we have there. Uh, we're all managing Scunthorpe separately. It's a <laughs> community challenge, and I've become um, fairly fond of of my Scunthorpe United side. And Hippolyte, uh, well, on the Saturday when Colin was like, oh, this Hippolyte guy's interesting. And I said, yeah, he plays for Granada national team. And Colin was like, nope, he hasn't got any international caps. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, mate, he plays for Granada. I think I'd know. Uh, it turns out on my game, Granada called him up and he missed loads of football. Oh, no way. When I really needed him. <laughs> so I got really wound up about the fact that he played for Granada. I've just said it out loud in real life and it's not true. He's never he's never represented Granada, although he is eligible for them. So that was quite hard to explain to Ian Holloway, I must admit. There's a game called Football Manager. No, no, not not your actual career, which you've done for the last 30 years. It's just a, What did Colin think when you said game. that? Um, he thought I was really cool when I told him that we're currently flying high at the top of League One in, in Season 4 and I just beat Crew 9-2. He was like, yeah, that's really cool, mate. Well done. <laughs> he said, I really respect you for taking time away from your job where you talk about EFL football by pretending to be an EFL football manager. That's really cool. And I said, thanks very much, Colin. Um, I respect so you cool. too. Uh, Mansfield 3, Hartlepool 2. Couldn't see much of this one, could we? Foggy. Fog. Mm. Fogmanet. Um I Foxing yeah, I feel I feel I feel very sorry. I mean what we should say here is Hartlepool took the lead 2-0 and it was completely against run of play. Mansfield yes. were the were the better side and were on top throughout. And um even though it was an overhit cross that ended up getting them um into uh, a goal scoring position from 2-0 down back to 3-2, um it was it was fully deserved. I just feel sorry for Hartlepool because they scored what looked like a dramatic injury time equaliser that was chalked off. And I've mm. watched, even with the fog, I've watched it back loads of times and I cannot for the life of me work out why. Well, one of the guys who didn't score, who might have been just offside and was challenging for the ball, albeit it went over his head. Therefore, he probably is making a play for the ball and therefore probably is offside. But again, you can't even tell if he is or not. I can see why they were pretty upset. I mean, that they even celebrated for about 15 seconds before you even realised the linesman flag was up. So that was a bit of and a And then you see how angry the fans were who'd run down. <laughs> 10 wins in 11 oh, games for Mansfield. What they're like Genuinely quite an insane football season this because they won... Yeah. They didn't win in 12, was it? Or 14 at one point? And now they've won 10 in 11? Doesn't really make any sense. But Clough the Magic mm. Dragon does what Clough the Magic Dragon does, I think. And um, I was very impressed yeah. with the performance of... The youngster who played in the 10 role, who's called Law, and whose first name I need to remind myself of, J-Law. Jason Law. Jude. Laying down the law. Um, It was his first Laying start of the, the season. He'd only played, played, I think, eight minutes in League Two. Plays in the 10, six key passes per horse, who scored, set up a load of goals, got a load of chances, got an assist. Probably plays himself into a start in the next game as well. Um, very impressive performance from the young man. Last but not least, Tranmere 2, Barrow 0. Um, Unbelievable Tranmere. Have scored 20 goals, less than the goal a game, and they have 38 points. So 
this is simplistic and doesn't mean anything, but it's a quirk. It's a wrinkle. 1.9 points per goal scored. I defy anyone listening to this podcast, and well done for getting to minute 70-odd. I defy anyone listening to this podcast to find me a team who more than halfway through a season, or around halfway through a season, have a better points per goal scored record than 1.9. Sensational. Sensational. And, Mm. of course, George, the context is they don't concede many, do they? They don't. Um, This is the second remarkable run um, where we've seen Tranmere just not conceding any goals. Um, For them to have won, what is it, five wins on the bounce, four clean sheets in a row. Um, During that first run, I I spoke about how it wasn't sustainable, how they were still conceding a lot of of shots. Um, I don't think, again, they're necessarily going to keep this record up, but they do to me look better now than they were in that in that initial um, run where they kind of started rising up the table. They uh, look to be a, a better attacking unit. I think for a bit when they weren't conceding goals, um, they, they they didn't look particularly good going forward. Whereas now I do feel like, especially with, with Maynard starting to hit some kind of form, and you know Kieran Morris has been one of the standout players probably in League Two this season. Um, they've got a couple of attacking. Uh, players who, who make a big impact. Um, you know, beating Barrow at home 2-0 isn't revolutionary, but when you put it into context with the kind of run they're on at the moment and, and moving up into third in the table, uh, they are a side who, who are very much believing that they are putting together the kind of performances and the kind of run that could see them challenge uh, Forest Green for that top spot if they are to slip up. So, yeah, a big... You know, it feels to me like the Mansfield run has, has been quite um, well publicised, um, but we haven't spoken much about Tranmere just because the manner in which they're picking up these wins, these clean sheets, um, it feels like it's going to unravel again like it did the first time. Uh, but maybe we're seeing more sustainable style here in terms of what the, of the way they're going about picking up these, these three points. Peter Clark is the best centre-back in the league, in my opinion. And he's 39, and it got me thinking, right? How, if let's say Peter Clark wanted to keep playing football at whatever level would employ him to keep playing football, like how, at what level could he be playing at when he's 45 in six years' time? Because, right, and also the caveat is he's relatively healthy, like he's not picking up either regular injuries or terrible injuries. Because, my thing is, right, he played, he's clearly an incredible footballing brain. He's very good on the ball. He's got good passing range. His defensive instincts are exceptional. He's had a 22, three-year career, which started mm. at Everton, and he's now at Tranmere from top tier to fourth tier. He's the best defender, in my eyes, at the level. Like, he hasn't got legs. Like, he's slow, obviously. <laughs> he's very slow. But if you have... It's a bit like Cahill playing at Bournemouth to a, to a slightly different extent. Let's say Peter Clark wants to keep playing. Could he be playing, let's say, one tier down at 45, George? Is that really stupid? And if so, why? Like, what am I missing? <laughs> what a he, question. Because um, it's mostly in I his th- head and his feet. Yeah, his... I mean, I, why not, I guess? Um, Kevin Ellison's still running around into his 40s, isn't he? And, True. you know, Peter Clark, as you say, doesn't have to do much running. So... Yeah, yes. I just think, you know, you see a 39-year-old and you're like, oh, lol, he's 39. That's pretty old to still be playing professional football. Not many of them around. And you sort of think he'll probably be thinking about winding it down at some point. But why should he? He's absolute class, you know. Yeah. Um, 
up the Peter Clark. I should say that Davis, his, his defensive partner, is excellent. And Spearing, screening. That is a proper trio, that. Proper trio. Mm. Spearing got a beautiful assist as well. The best defensive record in the EFL, Tranmere. And because of that experience, they, they have that lovely intangible game management. They manage these games so well. Um, and we saw that here on the Boxing Day. I was going to say on the weekend. Was it? I don't know. What day is it? No idea. Who what knows? I do know, George, is there are currently only 15 of the 36 games still on. The games that are meant to be played Wednesday 29th and Thursday 30th. Who knows if we will have more or less than the uh, 12 that we had in the last game week. But what I do know, George, is that all being well, you will be on quest to at least talk about yeah. some games. Yes, yes. On It's Thursday evening, but I have no idea what Thursday is, but I'll be on quest for it. Thursday the 30th. Thursday the 30th. EFL yeah. on so quest. So two days time. Wow. This podcast has been sponsored by Betfair. We thank you for taking the time to join us. We felt very strongly that we wanted to keep podding throughout the Christmas period, even when there are times where you've had a couple of drinks and you think maybe we could leave it. No, we've got a responsibility to talk about EFL football. And it's not just a responsibility, to be honest, because that, that takes any sentiment out of it. We want to do it. We enjoy doing it. I dare say we need to do it for ourselves mm -hmm. so thank you to george for joining me thank you for listening and we'll be back with a betting show ahead of not the midweek fixtures but rather the uh the new year's day slate we'll have a betting show for that what's left of it uh, and we look forward to you joining us then thanks for listening guys go well <laughs>